0: Go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support and, of course, your contributions. Love you. Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery, Change, and Life Optimization is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there, but I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues. This book is for you. This book is not a cookie cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster and quicker. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs is how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life through every change and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. I know you're living your cognitive rampage. I certainly am today. I'm hyped. I'm just feeling good today. You ever wake, you ever wake up on some of those days where you're just like, yeah, it's going to, I'm going to fucking rock today. That's like, that's it. You try to duplicate that, right? Each day. But honestly, I don't think you can. I don't think you can like wake up and guard. Go, right, I'm going to wake up like this, use the same routine every day to ensure that. I think we're, we're just a, a, a species that like senses everything. I think, you know, and some days you wake up and you're like, man, it's just on point today and some days you wake up and it's not, but those days you wake up when it's not, it makes you a lot of days you wake up and you feel like this and you feel like you're doing. I'm excited also about the topic and the guest that I have on today. Uh, welcome to the Cognitive Rampage podcast, Mason Baptista.
1: Oh, thanks. So, thanks a lot for having me out here, Adam. Real honored to be out here and, you know, you do some great stuff on here. I love listening to your podcast.
0: Well, I appreciate it, man. I uh, Like I always say, uh, well, I don't always say I'll die one day. But like I like to say is, uh, you know, whoever listens does the hard part because without listen and application, I'm just making noises up here. Uh, and it doesn't mean much, man, but you know, you, we were introduced, I think, um, whether you listen to the podcast or not, but I, I saw you online, you were in the tribe of change that, that, uh, uh, we all kind of run online. There's no leader to that, but, um, it's funny, the tribe of change, dude, it started out with just guests. So I'd have a guest on the podcast and I'd put him in the tribe of change. I have a guest on by, I put him in the tribe of change and that shit just fucking grew organically, man. It just woo, light on fire, man. And, uh, you're an active participant in there. You, you post a lot on there. Uh, you're, you're rather cerebral cat and I picked up on it and, uh, uh, I think you jumped on, I think it was athletes depression, right? It's kind of where you and I really started connecting.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I started a blog and, uh, I took a little break on that, but like the blog first, again, same thing like you, I just started putting out information talking talking about athletes depression. I was like, whoa, like, Adam, that's a big deal because uh that is a real thing. And I watch it, I see it, I see it with all a lot of people that I used to play hockey with and um, and I still and I see guys now like the trends that they're going on and like the things that they're going through and I'm like, damn, like that's someone who's falling down the same road like when you were talking about it with Jack Cruz, when you were talking about it with Nowdy, when you're talking about in your podcast, I'm like, Man, like that's uh that's a serious deal and I think it's something that's not made aware of again it's not there's not enough awareness in there especially for athletes so it's a and that misdiagnosis as you know is very dangerous
0: yeah oh you know before we start jumping in too deep you know just so people uh know what's uh, a little background on you i know I, I posted you know you play hockey have forever um on various levels but just kind of introduce uh yourself the, the mason baptiste to everybody kind of uh they <laughs> well, you know, so uh, know who we're hanging with
1: So, yeah, so just so everyone knows, um, I'm a a pro professional hockey player for the Fort Wayne Comets right now in the East Coast Hockey League. Um, I went to college at St. Norbert uh, College for four years, played four four years of hockey, won two national championships over there. Uh, Quite exciting stuff. And um, uh, now I'm just, again, chipping away one day at a time, trying to create my uh, rebuild myself from where I was in college. And um, again, I've information from uh, functional patterns to the information you put out through Jack Cruz to really start rebuilding my own self. And um, I have my own hockey business. It's BAPS Hockey. And uh, that uses an analytic hockey analytic approach to creating more goals, scoring more goals. And then on top of that, I have something else called FP BAPS. And that's the movement side where I, I train in a not in a bilateral fashion or a traditional sense, more in the sense of functional patterns. And I've, those my mentors Naudi and FP Johnny are guys that really led me down that path and have changed my body completely from when I used to be just to traditional lifting, traditional style of movement in college. Till now, I feel like I'm stronger, faster than I ever was when I was 20 years old. So, and that's a that's kind of a little bit about me right now.
0: Yeah, you played – when I first looked up and I saw how long you played, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to tell anybody how old you are. When I saw you were younger than me by Exponential, uh, I said, man, and then I looked how many years you've been playing, and I thought, my God. I mean, you know, you've been playing a long time.
1: Yeah, it's been, well, 24 years. So next uh, next to my mother, that's the longest relationship I've ever had. So it's been a long time. It's been a great time, it, it, a lot of ups and downs. But, again, uh, the, the path that I'm on right now, it's actually really allowed me um, – to expand my knowledge. I I look at my time right now as a trying to really absorb as much knowledge as I can. I'm learning as much as I'm really trying to open up different avenues that I never thought were even there. That's like, I'm starting with the functional patterns. I really dove in and started to find out uh, the bullshit that you live with. And I started to, I started to ask more questions and then that started me down the slippery slope of going into stuff like your environment. And then when you start seeing things that are, things that are, are completely unaware, like things like blue light, you see this red light I have right here and these glasses, I don't have any prescription glasses. They're blue light blocking glasses. And um, these are things I have to be more aware of. And like, no, it is. I live in like my job as a hockey player puts me at a disadvantage. I'm under blue light. And on game days, I'm sitting in a, arena for six, seven hours with seven, 8,000 people, all with cell phones. And uh, just, I'm basically in a hot, in a big microwave, just getting my body completely fried. And I had no idea about this stuff. So I have to do things like this red light and several other um, activities to really mediate my environment. And so uh, I think that's, I think that's really important. And that's like what I love about my job is that I'm able to do what I love. And at the same time I can, Go out and spend my time working on things that I enjoy instead of just again. No offense to people that are working nine to five jobs, but instead of I'm not wasting I, I'm not wasting my time doing work for other people. I'm doing work for myself.
0: Yeah, and, and which is actually rare as an athlete. Many athletes tend to to apply. We'll we'll get deeper into that. But for for those, uh, I will inform because uh, I. I guess I could say I used to be a football fan. Uh, I, I guess I I know of it. I study it now. The more research I've done on the athletes, depression, CTE, these things, it's been hard to be a fan and, and what it did to me. But for those, you know, I didn't know much about hockey, right? I just didn't, right? For many people that, if, that are yeah. hardcore football people, you rarely see that crossover. And for people that are football fans or don't know about hockey or whatever, uh, hockey, for their comparison, is the NFL of just about, Uh, anywhere in Canada, really, but uh, all over the world. It's huge, and it's getting bigger here uh, as even soccer is growing, et cetera. But for those that don't know, I mean, it is a massive, full-on culture. The full-on from whether you're training you as little gladiators as a kid, preparing you to play positions. Um, If you would kind of walk people through the life of a, if you will, bred-to-be hockey player and the culture of what that's like uh, coming up on on, on each level, however you want to talk about it, whether it's the pros or – Uh, Kind of that that walk that you've had.
1: Well, yeah. So, like, again, all started from juniors. So typically what you'll see is a lot of players from Canada and the U.S. will join, well, again, after being brought up at a young age playing hockey around the ages of 15, 16 that's where you see the drop-off between players that don't want to play and those that want to be competitive. And they join something called juniors. And so that could be the OHL Uh, WHL and USHL and those are in Canada and one of those are in America and um, so players will typically play there between the ages of 16 till 21 and so growing up I played till I was 21 and um, looking forward to, to playing college that was like the next step for me and so essentially I went to school and then I went to school finished high school and then I just played hockey and just trained. And so that was, that was awesome. You know, I'm not going to school as an eight, 19, 20 years old. It's, is pretty cool. You just, you get to live the dream essentially. Then I went to college and that's when the work started to come real work started to come in. So you're spending most, you're, you're spending three hours, three, four hours training and skating. And then the rest of the time is trying to get schoolwork done. And uh, the school, a school I went to is pretty competitive academically as well. So it was a lot of work trying to again put that, make sure I keep your grades up to keep playing. So it was a little different than juniors, and so I did that for four years from 21 till 25. Um, I went to Saint Norbert College, um, went to class every went to class every day. You know, you have three four hours of class each day, and then the weekends were game were were your game days, kind of like football, where it's like Friday Night Lights. It's like it's pretty regimented. And then now I've been playing this is my third year pro hockey. And now like a typical day for a pro hockey player is you wake up uh I guess from nine, you get to the rink at nine o'clock, practice from ten till eleven thirty, you work out after, and then the rest of the day is yours. And so uh as a professional, you see a lot of some people act like pros, some people don't. Everyone gets to do what they want. So that's like the trust of when coaches have to leave it up to those players to make sure they're responsible. And so video game guy. And so like now what I do is I spend most of my days either uh, working for BAPS hockey where I'm breaking down every single NHL goal into several different categories, or I'm, I'm reading different books. So I like uh, the book I'm reading right now is um, the coming age of quantum biology. So I'm learning, Quantum physics and quantum mechanics right now on the side as well, so it's definitely some interesting stuff. So that's why I, that's a typical day for me here. So yeah.
0: Well, it's it's a regimen, right? We're we're trained as as small athletes and little get gladiators to so follow this regimen and this dedication to define ourselves as athletes or uh, high performance athletes, even if we we uh, move to the upper levels, especially playing pro like yourself. And try and what I see you doing, which I, 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 commend is planning a life, um, around hockey. Um, not all about it, even though you're not playing it. But my point is you have jobs. You're thinking beyond it. You're only three years pro. You could play another well, out of five, 10 years, whatever, um, on what you're doing. But the, the point is, is I see you not defining yourself by this that you're starting to kind of prepare for that or whatever it is learning this you have two businesses that are running uh that are running as well although it's in hockey it's the same to me you're not playing but uh almost preparing for
1: it. yeah it's uh well the the thing about me and i say about like my path is trying to understand who i am and um i learned that i i could consume myself too much in the game and essentially that hinders my game. And you see a lot of this with like guys that have families. Um, they, they're, they're at the I gonna, for. I was going to ask,
0: when did you realize that? When was that moment when, when you kind of went, Oh shit.
1: Oh, w- what do you mean? Realize what moment? That like, moment uh,
0: when you, you th- you mentioned that you had immersed yourself a little too much or too deeply into it and kind of realized it, I'd become that. And you I think you started to tell the story, but I was interested in, was there like oh. a moment or was it a developmental process Uh, how did you come to that
1: it actually it started in college as i because like in juniors being a lot younger you're just playing and not really thinking about it as much but in college when each game became so crucial because you play significantly less it was just like i i was spending all my time just sitting there just like what did i do in each an individual shift and it's not like i don't analyze things now but before i'd spend hours on hours and I'd spend way too much time on the ice. I'd be shooting pucks for an extra two hours and then working out for two, three hours. And I barely had time for school. And I was like, this is absolutely too much. Like it's consuming. And I had a lot, thankfully I had a lot of really good mentors. My coach, my assistant coach I had some really good captains there. They were like, Hey man, you're overthinking it. You're And that's naturally by like, I can understand like, myself that I was an overthinker by trade. So I have to do things to really mediate that. And so when in college, it was brutal. And so like in pro, I really had to tone that down and had to really find ways to escape from it because you play 72 games and you're playing three, four games a week and you're barely consumed with every single play you did or every single shift. It can get overwhelming and you'll, you'll never be able to perform at the highest level.
0: Yeah. When you notice something like that, is there, cause for me, when I, when I kind of, I almost didn't have a chance to prepare. Injury took me out so quickly uh that you no, know, there was nothing else. It was just do that. And when uh, I wish I'd noticed, you know, or maybe had the time, perhaps even I told as a kid, it was like, just play football, just do that <laughs> or, or learn a trade, do yeah. that or learn a trade. I was like, all right, so I'll just do that. So when that went away, it was just kind of ripped shockingly away. Um, that i think that awareness of, of realizing it is consuming even uh, uh my daughter did so She was very good played for uh, a while and up to her senior year even was looking at colleges and she basically just went nah i want my life back I'm and <laughs> yeah she's like yeah i'm done i'll play Intermule or something you know and i was kind of like inside i was kind of like yes <laughs> I, like I was now most parents, right? You see your 80, 90% of parents be like, Oh, what are you doing? You have to be busy, right? Yeah. You need to be plugged in or busy. You know what I mean? You got to be regimented. Mm-hmm. I was totally opposite for me, man. I was like, thank God. Do yeah. um, do you, you were starting to tell a story. Do you see how people get immersed or get too wrapped up in it? What have you witnessed along the way as uh, guys and maybe even ladies too that you've seen that have played and fallen out or get too wrapped up in it?
1: Well, like, well, like where I where I noticed it at first is um, what you see this different. You see two stages in hockey where players tend to quit or decide to continue playing. You see it at fourteen. Fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, 16, and then you see it between the ages of, like, 19 and 21. And I didn't really know much at the younger age, but at that 19 to 21 range, you started seeing guys that were, like, really, really good hockey players that were just so soaked into the game. But you could see it wasn't what they really wanted, and they were kind of, like, forced into that that lifestyle. And even now, I'm, I see players that I used to play with who are like the top guys at juniors and have just been completely beaten down and are just have caught, like they're done. That's it. And they you just see it. It destroys them. It destroys them as a as an athlete. And they 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 hate the sport. They almost become some of the players like. It's sad that that happens, but it's because we're so it's so regimented and so structured. And you have to do everything all these particular ways. And it just kills these athletes. And I start seeing it at that, that age specifically. That's when I see a lot of it from the development side and looking at players. That's like, it's pretty dangerous. And so
0: you mentioned the, the culture, uh, that of hockey, if you are playing the game of that culture, um, inform form, what's that culture like? Um, what What's it like being a part of it? What What makes them drop out? Or I, I definitely get the social draw, right? Where their talent has got them yeah. to a place they're supposed to play hockey, right? And a lot of times they're sold, oh, it's your talent, so it must be your purpose, right? So as they immerse in that culture, right? take me into the hockey culture for a minute, if you would, Mason.
1: You know what? I I gotta say I don't know much about other sports, but like in the hockey culture, like on the social aspect, it's it's pretty awesome in the sense that you you become connected with a lot of good people, and especially a lot of people that when hockey's over, the call like everyone seems to really bring it in as a family, and it's a, like a lot of guys once you start to get to know them, it's it's a great way to connect with people. I'm not saying that I I can't knock that but like on the negative side of things like the culture can be very it's dangerous like you like anything like you have to take the good with the bad with anything you do and so with that good side that comes from the hockey culture comes a very dangerous side where it's 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 very intense it's a it's a whole different level when you step in that rink like everyone knows what's going on like it, it you're battling with not with 11 other guys on that ice for Create scoring opportunities. You're constant, like you. You could be your best friend, and it, it it changes once you're in that box inside those boards, inside that glass. They're no longer your friends, like or even some like I played roommates who are like really good friends. And when you're on there, you're trying to take their head off for crying out loud. It's very intense culture. And then when you look at the regimen and you look at the structure, a lot of that is it, it's so intense because they're trying to constantly top other people and again with the explosion of social media and you're starting to see a lot more uh uh everyone's videos of oh what they're doing this is what that person's doing you're getting like this need to do what everyone else is and so it 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 becomes very overwhelming and i think it's very dangerous for a lot of young kids and 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 so that's why i as a sales coach when i try to work with kids is try to like really separate everyone else and try to trying to work on you but like the culture is very consuming it's very intense and uh again it's you have to be you have to be really careful and that's where like it's the job of the parents the coaches the skills coaches to really keep that kid keep those kids in check and not let them get burnt out
0: yeah, burnout is huge. I mean, we see a giant rise in anxiety in high school kids uh, and even younger, and it just as our in our society as a whole, really, uh, you see a rise. And you know that I, my daughter started experiencing it, and I saw her fifteen, something like that. You know, she's uh, about to turn eighteen, was fifteen, eh, probably sixteen, something like that. I noticed that you know she would let me know, hey, I don't know what this is. It always arises It's funny, anxiety always arrives to people. And they're like, what the fuck is this? You know, they don't get it. They're like, I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm not, nothing's happening right but it was going through it and her schedule was brutal man like you're talking about between the studying she's got to do the coaching the private lessons the weekend tournaments the travel tournaments on the other weekends it's brutal and you know she uh, she left and those anxiety they stopped all that stuff went away and the culture of hockey is very much sounds to me just like football it's intense Uh, you're you're driven. There's no tears in football. There's no, this is what you do. I can hear us talking now and I can hear the motivational coaches Mm -hmm. that train people in the sport going, cause that's why it's hockey and football. You motherfuckers. That's what you do. (laughs) You eat, sleep and breathe this shit. You stupid fucks. Like I can hear them. You know, I can hear my old coach defensive coordinator. He'd be calling me a bunch of names. I can't say, anymore on air you know Uh, you'd be doing that and for me that is that was the culture and to lead is kind of man i appreciate you sharing what that's really like i think people that listen to, to tcr can kind of put together that environment right of being in it and so what is missed and the reason i kind of brought this diagnosis forward is we look at typical like Piaget, developmental psychology and we look at, at each child in their developmental stages as somehow fitting into these very nice, neat stages, which great work the man did. I, I love the work and his developmental work still mm. holds true today. But when you... Then build the rest of your psychological diagnosis based on developments such as just that or just trauma or just the basic things that happen to, well, most of us humans. And let that be the foundation of diagnosis. Well, as you were developing this, you have to look at a different childhood development. What would be a, a stage that Piaget missed? Well, little fucking gladiators, six-year-old gladiators that have a a drill sergeant for a father, right? Have, you know, fans and local people to keep happy, right? I mean, it's that way in these Pop Warner Leagues, these little leagues. I mean, they're carving these seven-year-old pitchers to pitch for the Rangers, you know? I mean, and so you're seeing this. And in psychology, I think we just skipped over the athletic development. What is the developmental life of an athlete? And the culture you talked about, and that's why it's important that we're talking about hockey now, because I only bring a football and a fighting aspect. We've had fighters on here to talk about it, too. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into golf as well, because uh, I want to get away from the contacts, because a lot of people will, will just associate contact sports. And that's the only issue. Bullshit. If you're a golfer yeah. or a tennis player or something like that, it'll hit you the same way. In psychology, we just we ignored it. We just kind of, and I said, man, how many kids play sports? How many, most of us, you know, it felt like for me, everybody played sports, right? That's all I was around. You tried something and we missed that. And so now what we're trying to do is use these, I guess, old fashioned, pretty uh, vague diagnoses that are built off Typical developmental childhood processes with your traumas or not traumas or attachments or healthy attachments. And we're trying to apply those to athletes that have a developmental childhood that's not really been heavily researched on its impact because of the things you mentioned that it does bring, the the teamhood, the discipline, the things that it does teach you. And I think, uh, I won't speak for you, but myself, I'm not trying to denounce sports by talking about it because it it offers so many Mm -hmm. great things. And it's shrouded in that. And it became this honor thing as if, I'm like, there's no difference between the NFL football field and the Roman Coliseum. There's no fucking difference, The, the in my opinion. It. It's, ju- it's just no, fucking fair. The rich people got the best fucking seats in the house eating grapes. The poor people are on the outside or sitting at the top. that can barely afford to go. They give enough toys to the gladiators to play on the field and risk dying at the average age of 55 now and CTE and God knows what on the football field and give them a bunch of money and make them rich, not wealthy, just rich, and we all watch in amusement. It's the fucking Roman Coliseum, brother.
1: It sounds very (laughs) comparable. You're just like, okay, well, this its an interesting metaphor. And you look at it, you're like, wow, those two are very alike.
0: Yeah, it's just changed a little bit. That's all. We give everybody pads and we took the swords away. (laughs) You know? Yeah,
1: and instead of dying right now, they die 10, 15 years after their career with all these head injuries and 20 years, the
0: average age of the American. 20 years. I mean, 55, you're That's looking at, not... was it 67, 68 now is the average age now of an American? Um, well, I mean, obesity keeps going. We won't, we won't make it yeah. that way. God knows what else. But my, my point was, Mason, is that I, I loved how you talked about your life, the culture. When you're, when you're born into that culture, I mean, it's like, uh, what's the guy's name again from Batman?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, Bruce Wayne? No,
0: it's Bane. It's Bane, right? Like oh,
1: Bane. Love, oh, Bane, yeah.
0: They love the darkness, but well, he was born in it, right? So if you're born, it's born in the dark. Yeah, if we're born in that gladiator shit for so long, man, and then we go into a culture our friends come from that place, our rewards come from that place, you know. And Well, it's it's
1: it, well, sorry to stop you there, but it's interesting uh-huh. how you talk about like there's this basic template of psycho um, psychology and of the development of humans from this age and this age and this age for every typical person, but the reality is, is that athletes aren't—they're not aren't typical. They're different. They're they're brought up in a completely different environment. And I think there's this coming age of like environment dictates behavior. You're starting to see more and more people starting to understand that. And um like I, I love Robert Spokalski's work when he did like he really dives deep into like human behavior. And it, I think it's so important to look at that environment at a young age because you got six like you said, these six, seven, eight year olds, it's just like in hockey, they're running around trying to take each other's heads off. They're trying their their rewards and consequences are all built off this sport that they're playing. And that has this, that has a direct effect on their brain development that's going to change who they are as a person and they're going to have a different course than the typical person so they shouldn't be they need to be researched at a completely different level and you have to be able to see what's going on i think it's really important to like uh, that's the field that needs to be really looked into because ever like my school i think had uh i think it was probably like 30 or 40 percent of the kids were like were in some sort of sports it may even been more and that's yeah. like a that's a lot of kids. That's that's a huge field. And all well, kids I, that were brought up in sports.
0: Yeah, I love it where they uh, the parent goes, uh, "Well, you you shouldn't play that violent video game. It's too much blood." And then comes Saturday at the pop Warner game. Fucking kill him, Jimmy! <laughs> you, rip his head like, off. Right? You're like, what the fuck? You're like, <laughs> you're worried about the violent, bloody video game, but he's out there, and your your dad or the mom's looking at him, going, "I want you to fucking kill him." now you know hit him hard take his head off come on Jack, way to smash him you know what i mean and i'm but, like wait a minute
1: <laughs> it's nuts it was like or that that like the one i got when i was younger was like that puck is yours that's like your family member you can't let anyone go near that like they're trying to kill they're trying to kill your family member you're like whoa like you want <laughs> that's the type of mindset you want me to turn on right now
0: yeah like, <laughs> exactly and it's it's, it's like- absolutely nuts yeah, mix, I mean, mix that in with now exposure to anything the two thumbs can Google, you know, mix that. Because I would agree that uh, the younger generations is it's really desensitized, man. It's just, they've seen it. They've seen it. It doesn't really, nothing. They've seen the movie. They've seen nothing. The, nothing.
1: nothing. Well, it's uh, interesting you said that um, Louis C.K., in spite of everything that's gone on with him, one of his uh, comedy bits, he talks about how, um, uh, actually it was an interview, he talks about how kids are so desensitized desensitized to all what's around them because they don't have to actually see the emotional effects of what they say or do to other kids. Cause they're doing it through the screen and they're seeing it through. Nothing's like real anymore. So they don't even, they don't even care like what they're doing. They don't care what they're saying. They don't care what they're causing. They're just, they're just, they're so glued into these, these uh, cell phones. It's outrageous or like social media. Well,
0: well, well, here's the answer, though, Mason and Adam. Um, that's why we put them in sports. So they socially connect. <laughs> and I would say yes. Agreed. I think uh, that was some of the best memories I have is connecting mm. with my friends. And hell, we're, we're still old farts. We get together and somebody brings up. Remember that one thing? You know, and you're like, yeah, I do. I feel like Al Bundy, you know, talking shit. And <laughs> But it did. It, it bonded us when we go to camps together or whatever, you know, certain games. So it it did provide that. And that's, that's something that's positive that comes from it.
1: Well, yeah, no, there's, again, there's great things that come from it. But think about once you become immersed in that culture, that's all you're, that's all you're open to. That's all you're doing. And so, of course, you're going to have good memories from that. And so, like, I think parents need to open up. The avenues and allow kids to play different other sports or just go and do something else like they just don't have to play sports all the time again it doesn't need to be this this crazy regimented system where kids are completely consumed and absorbed in one sport or two sports it's like let's let's move away there's other things that you can do as a kid
0: Yeah, and and you know what it's for, right? It's the scholarship. It's the fucking dreaded scholarship, dude. I I have this these interviews. I haven't aired them yet, right? And I don't know if I will. I probably have to now after I uh, (laughs) say this shit, but. Anyway, I'd be at my daughter's (coughs) volleyball, like, uh, big – I forgot what they call them. Anyway, they're club tournaments. Anyway, they're huge. And we're out at Disney at this massive one. There's probably – I think there's about 3,000 girls there, uh, three or four different age levels, right? Every college under the sun is out there. Penn State, Texas, Mm -hmm. Florida State, Wake Forest are all recruiting. And, well, in between games, I kind of was like, you know – I, I want to know something here because one, this shit was expensive, brother. I mean, kicking out five grand a month. Yeah, you know what I mean. For that's just club dudes. They don't even oh, give a shit about. God. They don't even care about school anymore. They don't give a shit. Girls sit out school seasons once they have scholarships, or right? they care about the club, right? The club shit's a whole subculture of psychoness. But anyway, I got bored and I kind of turned my phone on. Can't I think even I was. Imagine. I think I was hosting for ESPN at the time. So I kind of, that wasn't doing anything, but I figured I'd get him to talk to me. So I kind of c- cut on my phone and I start recording. I found the top recruiters. I have Penn state, Florida state, uh, a couple others, Missouri. And I talked to him and I said, and a lot of them were the head coach that were there with the recruiter. And I'm like, so we are talking a little bit. I said, so tell me some things I don't know. And they were actually pretty neat. They told me, look, we're barely, we know the girl can play. What we're looking at is how does she interact with her parents? And we watch the parents. Because a scholarship is not only with the kid, it's with the parent. And if we're watching how the parent is, mm-mm. They, they said, we watch what they give the kid for lunch. That's what we're looking at, what the kid's eating, how their attitude is. We see them play. So I said, okay, well, that's 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 cool. So out of these 3,000 girls here, how many are going to see a Division One court for real? What do you think, Mason?
1: 3,000 girls? Ugh. I don't know. I'd say like what a— 100, 200, maybe a little bit more? Six. Six?
0: Six. Fucking oh, six. And Gosh. I'm going, wait a minute, 5,000, that kid, 5,000, that kid. I'm going, fucking, for the scholarship, fucking <clears throat> six. Now, I said D1 court, and I said, all right, D2, I'm bringing it yeah. up to like 20. The highest is like 20, and I'm still going, what? There's like 50 of these going on. All over the country right now, you know, oh, and I just started God. doing that, looking what the f- all for this scholarship this this coveted scholarship. And I mean, those kids get lost in it. The parents get lost in, in fighting the scholarship. And one parent I interviewed, I interviewed the top parent of the best two girls there. He he doesn't even see his daughter three nights out of the week because she practices with the Tampa team. So she spends the night in Tampa half the week. while his her family's in Orlando, you know, and I'm going like, what the fuck? You know, I just, yeah, they, we call them our second family in Tampa. You know, they our daughter stays there half the week. And I'm like, I, could, I just, it's so much, man. I don't know how I got on this fucking tangent. But it was about well, chasing no, the I, scholarships, I think.
1: Well, yeah, no, the scholarship idea, well, it's certainty, right? And all humans look for certainty. It's like it's a, it's psychologically, it's born right into us, like from, like, where we've evolved. Like, certainty is what we need. And when we see anything uncertain, it's, it's scary. So that scholarship, it gives you that feeling of, okay, if I get the scholarship, this team's going to, they really want me and they're going to give me the right opportunities. They're going to give me everything I can to succeed. And uh, the problem is, is like when you see the games kind of loaded, like you just said, six people out of 3000 kids, 3000 girls with 50 of them across the country. And you're going like, okay. And either I've got the wrong way, I've, I've got the wrong outlook on how I'm going to get the scholarship, or I'm just in the wrong sport. Like, I I think people don't like to realize that they think they're going to be the, that 1% that gets it. And uh, I think, I think that's even more uncertain. I think it's actually pretty bizarre. So
0: yeah, it's well. That's where it comes from. Watch the motivational videos. Well, it has to be somebody. Why can't it be you? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: And it can't be. It's not. It's not going to be everybody. And I, I, I'm a pretty big advocate of like. It, it, I'm not going to be that one percent that made it through. But I found my way through the system that really didn't. I had to find different avenues. I had to adapt and I had to be flexible and versatile. And I think that's what makes me such a allows me to be such a good hockey player, allow me to continue playing hockey is because I'm able to do that. And I think people are very stuck on it needs to be this one way. And I think that's when you start running. Like, again, if you're not at home with your family most of the time, like 50% of the time, well, what's the point? Like, if you can't even do what you love and be with people that be with the people who brought you up, like, like, come on, like you're starting to, you're starting to sacrifice a lot of things during a very young age where they're developing which is almost like, okay, is it really worth it?
0: Yeah, I was, uh, oh man, we're getting tangential here. I, I was talking about <laughs> how, you know, we, all right, I'm, I'm trying not to go too deep, Mason. I'm trying to figure out where to put the, this, the starting point, but I'm, gonna, I'm doing a podcast on it solo uh, again. But anyway, <laughs> my, my point is, is when, when the slave is entrapped or when you're in jail, you have to create a world of meaning for survival mm-hmm. and unbeknownst or unchosen technically by a lot of people that are forced that do live a nine to five, right? I have no qualms against it, man. I, it's a tough thing. You know, I, kudos to those. But what happens is we turn the enslavement into sacrifice. And then we say, I'm sacrificing for 40 hours a week to provide for my family. And we have turned the enslavement into something to be proud of. When that's what that is what a species will do and needs to do to survive mentally. The best they can now. You can only sit on yeah. top of that that, that volcano till it eventually goes off. Yeah. You know, and so getting by that we create that that purpose or that meaning to sacrifice. But I always said, man, wouldn't it sound better to say I, I, I sacrifice to spend forty hours a week with my family? You know what I mean?
1: Mm. Well, no, yeah, it's <sighs> Again, like uh, I, I grew up in a home where just it was just me and my mom, and like any time we got to spend was like it, it would be awesome because she was working so much to try and provide, and I think what you see now is like families that provide more than enough, but still almost like create these uh, create these environments where they perp- they avoid spending this time with each other or they take for granted that ability to just like be together. And, and, and I think that's when you you're missing something critical for especially younger kids when they're developing, like they need that. That's important to be, to feel that family, that type of environment where like they're, they're together, they're loved, they're cared for. And when you're constantly on the move like that, you're starting to run a slippery slope on their own development. And again, it's stuff that you don't even see because there's no science into the field of athletes. They're just seen as typical kids. When really they're living these very out of outrageously abnormal lives. And uh yeah, and I, again it's it's very it's a slippery slope and stuff. Well you know, when I can say it's real...
0: Yeah. Sorry. What'd you say that you broke up there at the end, Mason?
1: No, I just said it's a real slippery slope for these kids. And so I I, I see it in myself at times, I see it in other people and, uh, it's something that needs to be addressed or you're going to see issues like athletes depression. You're going to see more anxiety and these disorders going through the roof.
0: Yeah. Typically the, yeah, you will and are actually, you know, the, um, The higher the socioeconomic standing, typically the less time the the parent or parent is spending with the child. You know, and I don't want to get it twisted about saying forty hours a week with the family. It all sounds good because I'll beat myself up and say, "Look, that shit always sounds good." But we know the world we live in, right? When you do have yeah. the house, and the divorces happen. So don't get it twisted, people. I, I fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I get, I, I get the toughness of it. You know, my mom was going to school late night trying to do what she could. Right? Even my dad worked hard. Right? I barely saw him when I did. It was bad, but still. But you know, we mentioned a difference is that higher socioeconomic uh lifestyle as a child coming up into it like you said they become busier they find more activities and almost spread out further as a family and also what you start to see is more defining value into the child or the family or the person by performance you see that transition somehow as because either the, the parent the mother the father became successful they worked their way up and through that performance, they now have higher value, they expect better performance, as they would say uh from their children
1: no definitely, and you see you I see it all the time with I, the kids I deal with um uh in the summers I'm always dealing with, like I'm always working with a lot of kids, and then I get to observe a lot more and you see that like it's these parents put a very high this almost like a high price tag on like you need to be successful. You need to be doing something. We need to be always working. We need to always be doing this, and it just keeps getting more and more consuming. And you're like, it, when do we get to stop? Like when well, eventually do we the these- kids
0: put their hands up, brother. Eventually the kids. That's why yeah. they're, they're. I don't know how many kids I saw in community that were showing up from anxiety because of that parent push, push, push. Eventually the kid does. They throw their fucking hands up and they go do some fucking drugs at a party. They go get. Pre- they just say fuck it. And that's what they end up doing is throwing their hands up going, this is just too fucking much. And they act out terribly.
1: Well, yeah. And again, I, I don't want to get too deep into like the light thing or like the environment from like a a cellular level. But when you're looking at things from like, again, the Dr. Jack Cruz stuff, I know you've seen a lot of his stuff. These kids are, their brains are being fried at such a young age. You're in like these toxic environments at such a young age. And then you add on top of it, all these pressures, these social pressures from their parents, from their environments, from the, from their coaches. And you wonder why it's becoming like, it's younger and younger. These kids are exploding and they're doing more outrageous, impulsive things. And like, I I've seen it. I had, uh, I've had parents tell me of kids that are, um, struggling with depression at 12 years old. And I'm like, how is that even, is that even possible? I, and then you started looking at kids with in college, I felt like every kid was on Adderall or for ADHD or ADD. And they said, it's just, they need it from such a young age and you're seeing it. It's just becoming younger and younger and younger. This is the put, like, it's just they and falling apart at a younger age. And it's again, I don't know. I, I don't know how to really stop it. It's tough. Yeah.
0: It's it tough was a tough world. It was bad, man. Back uh, jokingly, I say it, but back in the day when I was selling dope pretty hard, man, I, and Adderall hit the scene. Um, I used to break that stuff up and chop it up in baggies and stuff, and I call it uh, college coke. And I would, I would when yeah. it first hit. the That's how I was selling it, man. I was like, "What the fuck are these kids doing, man?" Yeah, you know, they were going. It was nuts for it, man. It was wild.
1: Well, in college, it's it, it's a commodity like that, that. It's a it's a something you're seeing. Almost more than dope now. Like I, I I see it all the time. Like you see kids in the library; they're just, they're just dealing legal drugs in there. Like this, you see it in all, all. It's been in different schools, and you see it all the time. And it's just become a necessity to keep up with the environment that they're in.
0: Yeah, and add on top of that, the sports environment, the cultures we've talked about, the expectations we've talked about. I mean, couple all that in, and you wonder why these athletes fucking lose it, man.
1: Yeah, like an uh, example, when I was younger, I, this this skills coach, I remember used to tell me every single day how brutal I was and how I needed to, I needed to work harder. I needed to work harder. I remember this guy would like, he'd be slashing us, he would pushing all these little kids around and I, and like now I look back at it, I go, God damn, that is pretty, like they, like, I'm all for like, not coddling a kid, but like this guy was, like, this is what the world was when I was coming up in hockey. Like, it was about tough love, no tears. Like, coaches will, coaches were yelling in your face all the time. Like, parents never said a single thing. And you were just, like... And you see these guys that took advantage of it. They just went way over the top. And, like, I don't... Even, who knows what like those type of effects were and, like as i developed and other kids like we have no idea well, i, I can that, tell
0: you i can tell you it teaches you if you are in a place of authority and somebody does something wrong yell at
1: it <laughs> yeah there you go it's it, it, it's it's, it's <laughs> crazy exactly. it's, it's absolutely it nuts you. Well, that's why hard hard.
0: athletes struggle with relationships, brother. They struggle hard with relationships and they keep it secret. You know, when I see an athlete fucking lose his mind or do something stupid as fuck like Ray Rice or John Jones go off the fucking grid and people are like, oh, God, how could he? He's got the whole world. I'm like, you motherfuckers don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's no. another level when you're feeling a different pressure to perform when everything that you are is defined by that performance. That people cannot, it's hard to grasp that. You know, for most people, I'd tell you, if you wanted to come to grips with what John Jones or somebody like that was experiencing, I want you to look at your kid and look at something and your kid is terminally ill or sick and dying like that. The the, the protection and that freak out that you would fucking feel of helplessness is the closest correlation I can make to when an athlete is going through something like that and responds as such.
1: No, I, I agree. Like you, People always like looking at the the aftermath or like the event that occurred, but people don't really like to look back at what really brought that person to that act. And you're going like, it, it, it is a, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot, it's really intense. And if people don't understand, like that's, that's what they define themselves as like that is who they are. And when you take that away from them, when they lose that ability to do so it's, it's dangerous. Like they become very dangerous. They're, just like a volcano, very volatile. You have no idea what's going to happen. And, and remember, so,
0: we've only been taught then how to respond. You already said it: no tears, don't say shit, yell at it, and dig deeper.
1: And yeah, and it's it's crazy because no, I, like you, you're taught to really just close everything off. But like like anything, like there's there's a limit to that. There's a critical mass that eventually you'll reach. And once you reach that critical mass, it is so dangerous to be around that person. That person is is like anyone around them is it doesn't even matter who they are they're going to feel the brunt force of 20 30 years of pent-up anger because we were taught to really close off everything in we were never really developed in a healthy fashion we're just taught to cram 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 and eventually there's just that limit that critical mass and when it goes you get these you see these athletes do these absolutely outrageous things and you're thinking oh this guy's an idiot or it's because he's it's because he's black or it's because he came from that family and you're like no like you have no idea what he went through
0: Right, or so, and, and the idea biologically even what's how we respond. If you take an organism like us, as we know, is so influenced by our epigenetic, you know, influences. We're raised in those gladiator environments. That's all we're taught. And you brought it out, Mason. Is the truth is we can't say shit. There is no tears. There's no hurt. There's no fucking fear. Right. I'm smashing my head against the dude, 250 pounds at fucking Mach five. Right. I, I, I don't have depression. I'm not fucking sad. Yeah. I don't do this shit. Right. We don't we don't No, there. We're, we're developed that way. And then, however, that makes your biology respond. I call it hypervigilance. There's no difference between a soldier coming home with PTSD and someone raised in a violent childhood or even in a violent culture. And cultures like that, like uh, and contact sports typically are, are a violent culture and the coping mechanisms, the awareness mechanisms, denial is a motherfucker when you're an athlete.
1: No, it's, it's crazy. Like you, you just, you're taught to really bottle everything up and all this, Like and people don't understand the effects of mental trauma like this, like these are, it's the equivalence of having a heart attack or a broken bone or a ripped tendon. Like it, but it's happening in your mind. Your brain is taking this beating and it, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. And so, and, and these, these kids get chipped away and I seen it when I was younger Like it was, it was just like continuously just chipping away at my own development. And then you look at a developing brain till it's what, till 25 it's constantly developing, and you have you include these traumatic events, and you're going like, oh dear, like you have a you have epigenetics at in play right now. You have genes being turned on and off, and then you wonder why they end up the way they do, and you're not you're not looking at the root of what's going on.
0: And we haven't even talked about CTE, right? All we've mentioned yeah. is the psychological effect. You know, the uh, iguana is one of the only few animals that mates for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I got to see this actually. It was on my, my, when I was on my first, beginning <coughs> of my walk, my beginning of my walkabout, I wrote about. I I just had recently left and I was down in the Keys. And anyway, I drive to the construction site every morning where I took that shit job. And anyway, these big fucking iguanas, they got an iguana problem in the Keys, man, in South so Miami. It's <laughs> bad, man. They're like your everyday lizard. They're just fucking everywhere. Uh- And anyway, these two big-ass iguanas would hang out at this spot. I'd (laughs) catch it a light, and I'd see them. I'd be like, ah, anyway, i passed them by. Anyway, I shitly, uh, I got to witness one of them get hit by a car. And kind of spun it around you on the side of the road, and I watched the other one kind of walk up to it and stand there. And they were off in the grass a little bit. For almost five days, brother, that iguana sat there. And what they do is they'll sit next to the one they were with for life until they starve, die, or something eats them. And it just sat there and I drove back and forth, back and forth. And eventually it was burned out and sideways, you know, and the birds and it, you know, it just sat there with the other one. And if you can imagine behaving, so they behaved every day in the same way together in a routine, right? That a behavior interaction is so influential that it makes the other one say, fuck it. So when you take an athlete who structured an environment from day one at six all the way up until the point to where all the structure is then gone and that label of who you are as the football player, the baseball player, the gymnast, whatever, is taken away, you can see why maybe as a species we do just kind of lay there next to what we used to define ourselves as and die.
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you see that so much in hockey specifically because they they really struggle to readapt to the world. Like you just can't it it you can't transition. They've really fully ingrained themselves into that environment and to becoming that person. They have no clue on how to be anything else. It's just like wandering like you said, like, like that it's just sitting on the side of the road and you're like looking at oh well that That's never going to be me again. Going to be that person anymore. And it's, it's. it's really hard realization. It's really hard to like actually adapt back to, to life. And, and let's
0: not front brother. When we put our ego on top of our athletic mindset of what we are, you know, like I said, a lot of people, I use it as an example. They joke about wide receivers, how they talk to run a lot of shit, run their mouths and stuff. Now I used to be for it. I understood because I played linebacker and those skinny dudes had to run across the middle and put their life on the line. You got to be a little fucking crazy. You know what I mean? You got to kind of be like, I'm the shit. <laughs> I'm the shit. You know what I mean? So you don't get your fucking head cracked, right? You got to be a little yeah. fucking, you know, and uh, I forgot where I was leading with that. that you know, you got to, oh yeah, you got to be a little off to the point to get yourself hyped, to go into battle, if you will, whatever that is. And that mindset of of, of walking into something. And when you take that mindset away you, you don't really know how to apply it. Oh, that's what I said. So you have to build up this kind of ego, right? This wide receiver Terrell Owens ego almost, right? To to keep going, you got your shit kicked out of you. The guy's 10 times bigger than you. He's twice as fast as you, right? You gotta be like, I'm the shit. You can't just fold. So you create this massive ego on top of your performance. And then when you take that away, you have this huge ego Everything built up. Everything we've already mentioned. You think this person's going? Hey, I'm feeling a little depressed. I'm afraid. Or you think I'm going to go take? The, you think I'm going to go take that shitty job waiting tables? Are you kidding me? I used to play. Da 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 da. Right. And then then give it five years, 10 years where they haven't done a job. They have no business. They have refused to go detail a car right, or be shitty. right? So they look down upon it with the ego. And then you got 10 years. They look like they're depressed. They look like these things. This is where the misdiagnosis happens with athletes is they're so resistive in the beginning, beyond the stigma, beyond any mental health fucking awareness. Mm -hmm. We can be aware, but we're like, fuck that denial athlete. I'll make this shit. And a lot of times early in an athlete's life, man, we break out and they have phases to where we'll create a company, we'll have an idea and we'll go at a hundred percent like it's two a day practices or some shit. And then it doesn't work out for whatever reason. And now people think we're fucking manic. You know what I mean? Now they think you're ADHD actually is what I meant to say. They think you're, you know, hyper too much. No, I'm just a little fucking gladiator, you know? So that's the first mixed misdiagnosis. And then another 10 years of resistive to what's really happening in your life. Depression sets in, right? We misdiagnose that. And Oh my God, man, I'm, I feel for athletes. That transition is so fucking hard, man.
1: Well, yeah. This Sean Avery, um, former NHL hockey player, wrote an article on the transition season. And he used to – he talked about, like, sitting in an air. he's used to – you're used to flying first class, top of the line stuff, always taken care of. And then he went into fashion. He was a little different. Like, he had other interests in hockey. And he ended up, like, flying coach – between two losers he would like again talk about in his article he'd be getting coffee for someone that he made 10 times more money than he was doing all the bitch work and he couldn't just you couldn't you can't just drop the gloves and beat the shit out of the guy because he says something stupid to you and it's a whole different world and it's very difficult to transition into that and he brings up a lot of good points and like how the environment that we're really brought into is, is so different so And it's, uh, it's just really hard to transition out of that.
0: Yeah. And the awareness of what that actually feels like people, it's, it's hard. It's, it's especially hard if you believe it to be, but if you're, that's kind of what I'm writing the book for, you know, um, and now I don't want people either listen to think all we're talking about here are athletes that made it like to your level at a pro level. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Leonfelter, who's probably um, <coughs> I was going to see if he wanted to sign on with this one at the end, but uh, his co-author in the book "Athletes Depression" with me, and he did some research, ran a survey, and some things. And uh, what we found is uh, it didn't matter whether you played to high school or four years into pros, the same effect of a mental health illness applied to you as you were an ending into a high school athlete or four years in the pro athlete?
1: No, well, yeah, that, well, that makes sense. Cause those athletes are still brought up. Like I said, like I said, the first big transition you see is like between that uh, 13, 14, 15 year old age. And that's typically 10, that's like 10 years of playing the sport already. Like that's, those are ingrained patterns that are are still going to be hard to. It's going to be really difficult to break them, and you can still see side effects later on, like you said. And you're going to see those kids because they figured they couldn't do it in that. They go in something else and adapt the same mentality and just move it to some like this other field, and they just keep going through that same cycle.
0: Yeah, and it's and but and they don't reach for help. It, it, like a, almost tell a marine to not be a fucking marine. Yeah, you, you, you know what I mean? They're not it's, no. Not right. It's not happening. That's what you're telling hockey players, gymnasts, football players, basketball players, uh, even golfers, tennis players. You're telling them that when it's over, right? It's to just, all right, forget that. And, uh, just move on with your life and get a job. And people are like, what the, you don't, you don't get it. You know what I mean? It's hard to make that transition for people. And, uh, a lot of people. Have no sympathy for it, honestly. They look at it and say, you know, you made a million bucks or you had an opportunity, you got to play. I only played till I was in seventh grade. You know, they look at it and they cast that, and even the athlete then absorbs that and goes, you know what, you're right. I had a great story, so I, I should be performing well. I should be doing something yeah. great like I used to. Yeah,
1: and the, the, it's so hard to to really wrap your head around that. And they, the people don't understand the investment that athletes have put in for such a long time. Like I told you, I said I've been playing hockey for 24 years, and that's next to my mother, that's the longest relationship I've ever had with anything else. And so whenever that time comes, it, it I have to, again, I'm trying right now to really become self-aware, put myself in a position where I don't have those side effects. But it's very hard. It's going to be very difficult when you tell someone, who's playing college till 25 they played hockey for 21 years and tell them that it's over like how do you just like abandon 21 years worth of like drilled regimen schedule and and just put it away and just think like okay i'm just gonna move on and start all over again yeah it's just it's not realistic
0: hence the conundrum, right, is to be that top performing athlete, right, we got to do all the things you and I have joked about, right, which is tear their head off, put the extra two hours of puck shooting in, you got to do all this drive, perform that way. But somewhere deep inside, be aware that you know, all this will end one day. And you'll have to stop. It's I see it very similar to let's say a 30 year marriage. And all of a sudden, one of them just goes away and divorces right just leaves it's it's like that iguana it just changes all of a sudden and people don't until you're there if you've loved the game as much as you have mason with hockey and other players i know for other sports unless you've defined yourself something like you said, i love the way you said it. it's the fucking longest relationship i've ever had since my yeah. mom yeah well, yeah, and it,
1: yeah yeah people don't people don't really see it that way and like especially like i noticed this in college in college they're like oh like you're gonna, they they'd always question a lot of people that didn't play sports. They'd be like, "Oh, why are you gonna keep playing hockey?" And I was like, "Wait, well, you gotta understand that. Like, this is this is a big deal for me. This is almost like a family member. Like that's how I I get the relationship such a long time. It for me, I felt like okay, it'd be unfair not to give it an opportunity to try and keep playing. And so, and mm. but like even when and then when guys they can't talk about play, that
0: mindset, Mason. Before you go go off, talk about that mindset, man. That, that was a, I like that point.
1: Well, like it's, it's, it's hard for like, it's from such a young age, you build this relationship with the sport. And again, I don't want to really create this idol of a, like hockey is like a person, but the reality is you put so much time and sacrifice and investment into it. And uh, you see the ups and downs you, you go, you're developed in such, you're, you're developed through this sport and as much as you don't want to define it yourself by it it's still a part of you it's a it's a huge part of you and to me like it's such a it's i cherish that relationship because of all the good things that it's brought me and uh it's it's hard for me to to think like i at some point i'm gonna have to let that go at some point it's gonna be this like it's almost like gonna be like losing a family member essentially. Like, cause it's, it is a big deal to me. Like I, I put everything into it. And so it's just like with someone else, they invest everything into a business or like that uh, 30 year a, marriage or the, yeah, the marriage. Again, like you see a lot of people, like I, I actually know a lot more divorced people than I probably should, but like they, they talk about how like their life's completely changed. They don't know what to do. They're so confused and it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's how I think I would feel like, at the beginning. And I, you see that with a lot of other athletes because like that is, a, that is a long relationship. That is a, that is a long time to spend with someone or something and invest that time into it. It's very hard to just like let it go.
0: And that's where athletes struggle in actual relationships is once we've been hurt by our sport, once we've been let go and ignored by the sport <clears> – <throat> God forbid we actually really become vulnerable and connect with anyone else because I know that you could leave at the drop of a dime, right? And so connecting with anyone else becomes difficult, just like a soldier dealing with PTSD becomes difficult to connect and trusting people um, and then finding value in who we are as athletes when we can no longer perform sometimes can make you choose relationships that then undervalue you you accept the love you think you deserve or your worth and if you're not then performing you're not who you used to be uh, we tend to not only have struggles connecting but then connect with people that may not treat us directly okay because we don't think highly of ourselves and then when we try to apply our learned coping skills into a relationship i'm going to ask you a forward professional hockey player what before your cerebral explosion what is the coping skill you learn to deal on how to communicate in a loving relationship when someone hurts you
1: uh shut down i try to avoid people <laughs> like, it's crazy like it, it and I, I still do it at times like i'm i'm not in a relationship right now but like it's when i was in when I was younger, it was like, okay, we just need to shut all that stuff down. We need to push all that down. We don't need it. Like we don't need to bring any of that up. If you feel vulnerable, no, no, that's not good. That's not good. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. that that'd that be terrible. It would make us look like we're weak. And that's how you like you adapt to relationships that way. And you'd adapt those, those type of, uh those type of habits and coping mechanisms into everything else. And it's, again was probably why they didn't work out and then you end up being and then what i see i see a lot of people settling with other with other partners and uh here just like and you can see it from an outsider's point of view you're like man like that's not going to end very well they're coping in their own way they're they're trying to they're trying to they're trying to find a way to deal with the fact that they're never going to play they're never going to play again they're never going to be able to be that star again, and you just and so you,
0: how so how could you love me, right? I mean yeah, that's how, that's it, what I thought. So how could you love me? I don't. I just do this now. I'm not that, right? So you, you know, I'm glad you're here. You know, it's kind of the feeling I, I yeah. remember having when I'd be in a relationship.
1: Well, yeah. Well, that's why it's important to find. I think it's very important, and you see a lot of. I've seen a lot of successful relationships with um, guys that I play with and guys that I have played with, and a lot of it is the person they. They're with is someone that a hockey player, but for who they are as a person, and it's really hard. It's really hard to find that nowadays. You see a lot of people like the general term in college was a jersey chaser. I don't know huh. if you call it back in the day, but that's what it was in college. See a lot of those.
0: Yeah. And and then when we want to apply again actual relationship skills when it comes to you know, communicating, we don't either we push it down, we ignore it, then eventually it erupts, right? All we've been taught is either, like you said, ignore it, it's not really happening, pain doesn't exist, fear and hurt is not allowed. And for the most part, we don't know how to communicate because our communication was done through physical violence or a point scoring or an elbow, right? (laughs) Or the next Mm -hmm. play, I'm going to get you, right? So that, that even that competition mindset comes into play when hurt becomes the goal back and
1: forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we, I can't even begin to describe how bad at communicating most uh, athletes are, let alone hockey players. Like we all, we all struggle with it. It's even with me when things, when things are going well, like guys that can communicate well, do things pretty well. But when things aren't going well, like you can just see the shutdown mentality or the, I don't need to talk to anyone. I need to get back to the grindstone. That's just the way things are. I don't need to ask for anyone's help. And uh, it's a bad habit, but that's just the way we're taught. You have to just—that's we're we're ingrained for such a young age. It's just like if things aren't going well, well, get back to the grindstone. You don't need anyone else's help. Just keep working, keep working, keep pushing it down. No emotions. You're like, Jesus, that just sounds really exhausting.
0: Yeah, well, the practice was right. The gym was right. It was it was exhausting, and the fact we also had coaches to tell us when we fucked up. And, well, there's no film to life. I can't live my life, go back, watch the film. Well, I guess there is. I can film it if I want to. But I can't go back and watch film on my last, you know, week and kind of be like, all right, I was fucking up there. My, my step, my in-step's a little off, right? We can't do that. And so th- there's no coaches around us to tell us anything, much less are we're going to ask for a mentor. Fucking, yeah, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. I'm, I don't need anybody, right, especially an athlete, right? So we, we don't have it's just not taught that way and it's such ignored man and so many athletes go uh quietly into into the night man until they do erupt and something is just terrible and you know talking about it is a great way to start too and in, in connecting with it that it actually exists and the awareness of it you know I just for me it's it's really get letting athletes know that what you're experiencing uh, is not Unlike what others are also experiencing, what other athletes are experiencing, if at least we can get athletes on the same page. There, you know, to to maybe pull that teamwork together that we're used to, and that 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 connection that we're used to on a social level to kind of cope with that instead of holding it inside so long.
1: Yeah, it's like learning to communicate, and like we have um, uh, we have a union, and then they talk about like the depression was brought up. They have like a hotline for it. And they talk about like make sure you talk about it, make sure you talk about it. So like it's it, there is an awareness there in the sense that okay, we need people to talk about it, but regardless, behind closed doors, most athletes know that it's it's still frowned upon. It's still weird to go out and look for that help because again, the association is weakness. If you need to go get help from someone, or that you're any type of mental disorder is associated with, oh, that person's broken, or they're that person's weak. That person can't handle the stresses of this environment, so they're going to be weeded out. And it's just like, okay, well, that just means there's. It's I don't I don't think it's ever going to be f- it fixed essentially because it's just it's so culturally ingrained in the system. But I think bringing awareness is at least one good step, as one first first step forward into trying to, again, change things.
0: Yeah, I think I know at least for myself, and I know a few athletes I speak to. I'll ask you, Mason, how it was for you. Well, because you're still you're still playing, so I we can't get into it too much, man. We're gonna have to definitely talk in the next ten years after you've uh, mm-hmm. uh, hit the Hall of Fame, etc. But you know what I see? <laughs> a lo- chip away. Yeah, for now. What I see a lot of athletes, right? That they, um uh, it's trying to replace the Friday, the adrenaline, right? And I'm trying to give some athletes uh, a little a little help, kind of a lean toward what, what, what helps from the <coughs> beginning. I spent a lot of fucking time trying to replace Saturday game days. I just spent a lot of time. And what that led me to was drug dealing and robbing dope boys <laughs> and without mass, not giving a fuck Mason, just doing crazy. Somebody shoot me shit. Just trying to get that heart level up to what it felt like on Friday nights and then Saturdays. Right. And trying to find that and. The problem I uh, that was in that is you can't, and that's also the beautiful part. It's like if you have this one experience, it was so great, and then you have to put that on the shelf and go, I can't find what repeats that shit, and my problem is, is trying to find things that give me that exact thing. I can't do that. So if I shelf it and go, now I can open myself up to different experiences that bring me to different levels, although just as rewarding, but in a different way. And then being able to let that go, and then look back as the Al Bundy and, and go, "Hey, I seventeen touchdowns, you know, seven touchdowns in one game, right?" That look back at it and talk, and if you want to, and laugh over a beer with a friend or something. But shelf that, and don't try to duplicate that.
1: Well, yeah, that, that's really difficult again. <laughs> It's hard because, like, we want – once that happens, it's that adrenaline rush. You want it to keep coming back and keep coming back. And um uh, I noticed that with college, essentially. Like, when – the way we won in college, like, when we won t- when we won those championships, they're, they're nothing like championships at the pro level or, like, in juniors, even when I was younger. You know, the way it, – it's just done in a completely different way with, like, this one-game elimination and the way the team comes together. Like, it's just – and you have – Guys that are together for such a long time, you don't see that in the pro level, and so I, you have to like accept that that's never going to happen again. Like that's just not it things like other other ways of winning or other things in life that you accomplish will be fulfilling and will bring something else. But you like you said, you have to shelf and put that away and be like, okay, that is an that's an amazing, unforgettable memory that's going to be there. Nothing's ever going to mimic it. But that's I'm moving. I have to move on. And so you don't see that now, and like you, athletes don't want to move on; they want to keep feeling that. And that's again like what you said: like you went and started chasing other things that brought that same adrenaline rush, with a lot more risk and like unsustainability towards it.
0: Yeah, and it's the the matching it. Now, I can a lot of people go, "Well, if I'll never find it, and I got to find something different," I will tell you that the something different will get you that same feeling, but in a different place. It's hard to, to explain it, but until you shelf that, everything you do will be compared to, ah, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like <coughs> that one game or that one season or that what that felt like. And then you won't, you're not even able to appreciate. I used to say it before I got some progressive emails uh, that I'm not allowed to say it. Um, <laughs> but this is the cognitive rampage, so fuck it. Um, I'll say it anyway and email me more. Uh, I used to from a guys and now mind you, I'm talking to athletes, right? So I'm probably going to get mm. hit up for somebody, sexual harassment, some bullshit. No, but as a guy, you're hanging out. We've all maybe met that one, you know, person, maybe girls too. Fuck it. They do too. What am I crazy? They, you met that one person. You had the greatest fucking night. It was just thrilling as a spiritual connection, sexual, right? It was the, just fucking awesome. And you parted ways and you never really traded numbers maybe, or you just got too busy, And maybe you spend the next 10 years trying to find that connection again, and you're open to nothing. And until you shelf that and go, man, that experience was awesome. Then only can you be open to the same level in a different place with someone else or something else?
1: No, for sure. (laughs) It's a good analogy. Everyone, like I, most guys can like, at least attest or understand what you're trying to say. And it makes sense. And Oh, there's some girls well, out there. So. Don't get it twisted. There's some girl <laughs> like,
0: yeah, I married this fucking guy. <laughs> but there was that one guy. I was in Hawaii, 19. <laughs> right? They got that story too. They ain't bullshitting me.
1: Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Everyone's got one or two stories there. So, but like again, like you have to put it away. Like that's just like it's it's if you don't understand, like understand that there's diff- These moments are all s- categorized differently, and they they all feel at a different level. And like you just. If you instead of trying to mimic it, just appreciate it and move on. Like it's okay. I I love this. This was awesome. Now it's time to find something else.
0: Yeah, and the skills applied mm-hmm. too. Because what's trippy, man, is well, I can't give too much detail. But someone I know, let's just say my brother, <laughs> worked for a company <laughs> um, that was let's just there wasn't Apple, but let's say the Apple of a different industry. We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, cutting edge boardrooms owned bars it was just legit and he was uh working for them as a consultant he would help hire salespeople, and these were like coveted sales jobs like you're walking into something beautiful and there was a question about collegiate athletics if you checked yes you played you were automatically cut from the roster of being hired they refused to hire collegiate and or professional athletes. They stayed away from it. And now these people ran computer programs with psychology, uh personality exams, etc. And they would grade these things using all the top stuff they could. Now no, the statistical data is always off typically, but for the most part, the best computer programs and tests they could, and they actually hired people that tested off the scale, not as as so-called the normalcy. They they hired people that were a bit OCD, uh mm-hmm. a bit go, 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 right? They love that lifestyle. But athletes or an athletic, no matter where you tested done. They didn't bring you on because they considered you as pampered. You needed to be told what to do. You couldn't organize your own structure and training time. And more than likely, because you don't get the glory from it, you're going to quit performing in a short period.
1: Interesting. Wow. It, it, it makes because sense.
0: money did not motivate it. That was the thing money did not motivate the athlete. So this was a money motivated company. Perform well, brother, you got a house on the inlet on the water, right? You're doing good. So the athlete was not motivated by the sales bonuses, the structure of what made that a little bit off odd person perform very well. The athlete would then go, I'm not getting any glory here. I'm signing contracts. You sent me, you know, I got a little cup watch reward thing. Yeah. <laughs> right, sir, I got some money, but you're not getting that glory, if you will, in quotes that you used to feel and athletes will quit and they'll go to the next job and go to the next job trying to replace that feeling.
1: And yeah, it's funny how you say that because like we always get talked about how jobs and you know, how they sell sports or is like oh, employers love athletes or love collegiate athletes because they they understand teamwork and all this other stuff. And it's interesting that you'd bring that up because, again, you never hear about the other side. There are employers out there that go like, eh, I'd rather not have to pamper this guy or I'd rather not have to deal with this, this person who's used to just being with a team and I, I need someone that's, again... That's going to be like OCD and f- be super structured in that sense, and be motivated by money rather than glory and fame, which you, this the job clearly can't.
0: No, replicate. as a no a sales job for that company, your glory is the yacht you can afford possibly, yeah. you know, at the, with your bonus check. But as an athlete, you're like, eh, if I was making the pro salary in the yacht, I'd feel yeah. better, right? But other than that, fuck that, you know, give me the, <laughs> give me, the, give, me the, give me the ball, give me the puck, give me the yeah. moment, right? Give me the last one for gold, right? Make me that person.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they want, it it's true, like, you just want to mimic that environment, essentially, you want, that's how it's more comfortable, it's easier for you to just re-transition re-transit, back into life, and so, or, yeah, so it's interesting to see that.
0: You know, that's, you know what, Mason, this perfect interview, like, uh, to walk into this, man, uh, my camera's out for a second, but. Uh, I, I want to walk in. Let's explore it, right? Because Gabor Mate, right? Dr. Gabor Mate, would talk about addiction. And he would say that, well, what are they getting from it, right? What are they getting from that moment? And I, I haven't done this live on air, much less maybe in my own mind writing a little bit. But as a pro athlete yourself, right? You know, what are we getting from that Friday night light, that that fluorescent ice ring? What are we getting from the cage, right? The octagon? What are we getting from the tennis match? What is that feeling? What are we getting, man? What, or what are you getting? Maybe you speak on that better. Well,
1: mm. oh, yeah. Well, I know when, when it's game day, game day, it's, uh, as soon as I wake up, you f- you feel that instant jump in that pep in your step and you're like, I can't wait for this game because, again, like that adrenaline rush, that is like one of the biggest things you get from it. It's just c- this crazy adrenaline rush. You're like, I get to go out there and I can just go bang some bodies, shoot some pox and, again. Like it, it – You get your heart rate going like nothing else. Like that's kind of the first and foremost thing I get. Um, I guess guess like uh, when I'm able to – when you're performing well, when you're doing the things that you've been practicing, it's an unreal feeling to be able to do that and be able to like execute some of the things that you've been persistent on trying to develop. And then like the team atmosphere when you're – like one of the best feelings, and it's a weird one, like you don't really hear a lot of glory in it, but it's like when you block a shot in a game and your whole bench just goes like hoon raving, it's one of the best feelings you can get in the game. It's unbelievable. Or like you get a puck out in the last couple of seconds and you win the game. It's just this, cr- like everyone just engulfs each other and you're just like, wow, like that is an amazing feeling. You want to feel that feeling. And then that win. like when you win, in that locker room, that sense of camaraderie and everyone comes together and everyone's just on a different – that high you get is I, – I have yet to find something else that's able to do that.
0: You won't. So what I heard, and which is kind of cool is, well, you might, I can't say that, that 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 would be irrational. So um, I can't. So, you know, Gabor (coughs) would say, right, social connection, right? So I'm going to walk down that theory and say, well, yeah. So what I heard is the social connection, the camaraderie in the locker room. Um, what's referred to as glory, I guess, in the text, but I would sum that up to write this social connection I provided for the tribe, right? I scored the touchdown. I mm-hmm. made the tackle, the goal, the whatever I scored the point, I pinned the guy, right? You know, so it's the social acceptance and perhaps maybe a, a performance or a delivery, a service to others in a hierarchy fashion.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, cause then you got your coaching staff and your GM and everyone and you make them all happy. They come in and they're hooting and raving inside after love and men. acceptance. Yeah, so love and
0: acceptance. We get love and acceptance, social connection, love and acceptance, a brotherhood feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. And you just like you feel that social inclusion, which is like directly linked into our biology. And it's just like wow, like I'm I'm accepted, and when and that's what you get when you win, and that's what you get when you you come together as a team. It's just that and that social inclusion, which is hard to find in your everyday job. Like I have buddies that I talk to. Um, from time to time here and they talk about how it's nothing the same. Like uh, you don't get that social inclusion from jo- in your job. Like you might make some friends, but they're not the same as that locker room.
0: Because I think it's because you're not conquering a fucking thing together. Now you put a sales team together and watch they they make the sale. They'll celebrate right. <laughs> Woo, we fucking did it right. But yeah. as a as an office group, you're kind of like, uh, what the fuck are you doing on Sunday? You know what I mean? Where that's it, I bought a new lawnmower, man. You know what I mean? That's kind of become the discussion. There's no conquering of something as the tribe. All right, so we're missing that now. So we have social connection, camaraderie, love and acceptance, providing and service for the tribe, and a conquering of an objective with a group.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, you nail every single category there. No, I you, think you of, are.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm just reiterating <laughs> reiterate what you're saying, brother.
1: Yeah, and so, like, when you – it's just – that is, like, why you play. Like, you play because you're able to get all those things. And then, and then from, like, your individual standpoint, you feel accomplished. You feel like you're able to – to reach those type of goals that you were that you set yourself up for such a young age, and, and it's internal, so you like get an
0: internal success and a definition of personal value.
1: Yeah, and then you get that good, it's a it's a it's an easy feedback mechanism that you can like again when you go off and you do those things and you you're playing that game and everything's flowing right and you're just like it you get that feedback you're like wow okay this is good this is good I like it I like it this is that, this feeling is awesome so.
0: I'll add one to it. Um, that's seven you've named so far, but I'm, I'm going to add an eighth one to it. It's something I used to get uh, because I wanted to be anywhere but the fuck home in my violent house or around what was was my home life was like. I wanted to be as far away from that as possible uh, and, <coughs> and and think about it as less as possible. Um, the more, that's why I got so fascinated with Stephen Kotler's work in flow genome and the rise of Superman and stealing fire, because I wanted to know. And what I got was those, I, I know now were those moments of flow where my brain shut down when he said hut or 12 or whatever the fuck the, the snap was on between that time. And the time I hit that dude or I got hit or I walked back to get the play call from the coach. I didn't give a fuck. I didn't think once or twice about that abuse, that fight that I was going to get screamed at or that time I got hit or whatever. Right. I didn't that for a moment in flow. I was, I was safe. Even though I'm on a fucking Roman gladiator field, I'm, I'm feeling safe. How fucking psycho is that? Right. That I'm saying, Hey, I got safety and security on the football field. What the fuck? That's insane.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it, and I, I actually have an, I have a blog coming out on, that very thing where you're talking about uh, like flow, but I like to say it's more of like freedom is like when I step onto that rink, cause I know like my lifestyle when I walk around, I, I got these glasses on, I got like a red light out to protect me. I'm staying away from microwaves. I don't have my cell phones in my pocket. People are, I, I don't trust a lot of people. I, I, I th- People are always trying to like just, they're always putting you down. They're always trying to, push their agendas on you. Like you, this is the world we live in. We live in a very toxic world. I know that. But when I step on into the the rink, it's an, it's an association with freedom because I go, I don't have to deal with any of that. None of that matters anymore for that 60 minutes. I go out there when I go out for practice, when out there, I'm just working on my skills. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about any of those toxic environments. I don't have to worry about all these talk, these people. I don't have to worry about any of that. I'm free for those moments and again, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. I'm free inside of a Roman Coliseum, essentially, like your own makeshift Coliseum. But that is freedom because you're in control of every You're in control of your environment now. I don't have to worry about all that stuff anymore.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, that's 10 things that we get rewarded with by the sport that most people try to live their entire lives to connect and and well keep their whole lives right and hold on to and then all at once if you will if the athlete is injured fired or whatnot uh, or it's just over um, (coughs) or high school you graduate right no one signs you or you decide not to all of what we just mentioned poof comes away gone poof and they go well just get a job and you'll you'll be fine and meet a nice woman and have a kid and you'll be just fine
1: and they just keep filling their lives with yeah. all those things and thinking fill right. so the gaps. Right, oh, you'll have be, a kid, have a dog.
0: You're right. Well, here's Get, the thing. Uh, I the house. Well, here's a, a flip question that I want to do. We we added these ten things, and well, two part really. I'd add to this is I can tell you what, bro. When I was getting fucked up and I was selling and all that shit, I got every bit of those things we just talked about. Every bit of those things, I got love, acceptance. I even got money. Uh, we had a goal to hit this robbery, this liquor <coughs> rob boy. I never robbed so-called innocent people; I only robbed drug dealers. You're right? That was my fucking rationale at yeah. the time. Right? So it, we had a, a goal. We accomplished it. We had a plan. We had a group together. Love, acceptance, and then guess what? I'm going to get fucking numb now. Now I'm going to escape all this shit. I, I escaped it when I was in the middle of, the, of it, and now I'm going to do the drug, or i be at the party, get the social connection, and then numb the thoughts out of the world that actually exists, man. And, man, I do see some common connections, and his social connection theory is being linked to addiction issues. I may have to include that in the book we're writing, man. So yeah. addiction, you see now why athletes struggle with addiction and the diagnosis, et cetera, because it can give you all those things in the environment all at once that you lost all at once. You can, At least for me, you can gain it all at once. But here's a, a question, Mason, that I know a lot of athletes may be asking as they hear me say this shit, is other than the the destructive stuff that I sought out when my career as a football player was over, how else could someone receive those things in a constructive style that don't have to be the sport.
1: Yeah, that's tough. It's gonna be tough. Like how you try to find those things. I think uh I, I think it's I think it starts first off at like a young age trying to find those other things that interest you. I think it's um making sure your life doesn't it, it's hard right now, but at a young age it, it's really important to really attack this and make sure that kids aren't being brought up in a way that's all built around that sport and they need to be able to learn how to communicate with other people outside of the sport. They need to be able to do things outside of the sport, learn things outside of it, whether it be music, art, it can be anything. It doesn't really matter. It just needs to be something outside of that um, environment because, again, if you really, if you build that that child up in that environment at such a young age for those many years, it's going to be really hard to replace it. Once that time comes, I think when that time comes, it's, it's, it's going to take, I, I really don't have an answer. I couldn't tell you right now what you do for someone right now. Like I, it's, it'd be very difficult. Take some, it takes someone. I know a guy that took it, took him about two years to get over um, uh, his depression and everything that he was going through. It took him about two years to really get back into like living like a normal person. So he struggles for, with, with drugs, alcohol for probably like two, two and a half years. And, uh, it was tough. It was tough to see that, to see him go through that. So, and like, there's know. lots of other athletes that I can't, can't mention, but, but yeah, like it's, it takes a lot of time.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, you dropped a little cognitive rampage there when I asked, uh, about that because you kind of covered what to do with the kids, how to raise them, how to put them in this. You got a little rampagey of them, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I get, all, you know, I get, I've been known to get a couple of tangents here and there.
0: Yeah. So, so right. uh, an open floor then on a, on a, on a transition, right? Because you are actually, you know, I'm a, I'll, I'll focus it. And because you are that pro athlete, you were raised as a gladiator. You are currently a pro athlete. Perhaps you could speak, to those pro athletes, man, that may not be aware of anything that you and I have discussed here, or you, you know, notice in your collegiate playing, um, you know how? What would you speak to that athlete that may be near the end or just getting in? But that speak to that pro athlete that may not understand or or, or uh, grasp what what you're aware of, what we're experiencing, what we're just beginning to understand and research to? What would you speak to that athlete and tell them that may be suffering from something? Right? Maybe experiencing that. Uh, maybe they do play, or the pro has just quit playing. But you know, what would you speak to them? Then? I
1: I think the biggest thing is is find someone that like you really trust someone they really care about. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like a wife or um, a partner. It, to, it, can be a, it can be a really good friend. I know I have one that I constantly talk to when things get down. Like I, I go through my lows as well. And I think the biggest thing is being able to have um, someone have that open line of communication and like where you're able to talk about these things. And uh, I've really, I, I've I've made it a point to have someone that I'm able to do that and able to connect with at a different level. And uh, he's able to help me through a lot of the different things that I go through when things are tough and keeps me grounded in a sense. And it's almost like an anchor point when, again, like sometimes you feel lost as an athlete. And I think a lot of players, when they um, transition, they feel like they're they're alone. And it's important to create those, those really good relationships. At least have, I'm not saying you need to have Ten best friends, or have I? Think it's have like that one person that you can talk to and really connect with. I think that's super important.
0: And that's what we call a cognitive rampage, brother.
1: <laughs> I love it, man.
0: Ah, man, love you the same, man. Uh so what I try to give guests a chance to do that. Uh, um, well, some. Let's, Basically your first podcast, right? I think I heard you on the back. Uh,
1: yeah. I had like one little small, I had a hockey one where we just talked specifically on hockey. Is the ah, first one. Like that's easy. Stuff. That's <laughs> easy. You, you talk <laughs> hockey and you sleep. Yeah. Well,
0: there's some. See, I, 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 it happened to me when I was on Rogan. I call it podcast remorse. That sometimes there's something you get off and say... <coughs> shit either i shouldn't have said or you go shit i meant to say and i and i forgot or a point i wanted to bring up man and uh i kind of just leave the floor open to you if there's anything that you wanted to get to or didn't get a chance to talk about or something
1: um you know i think just like talking about i just think talking about like what you get from the sport i think it's important to embrace the moment i think for again like what i talked about early in the show i was I'm an overthinker by trade. Like that's like kind of how it's, that's what's happened. That's, that's me. And so what I've really learned to do is to embrace the moment. And that's that freedom I get, like we just talked about and re- reiterating that is like, embrace the freedom that your sport gives you embrace that moments, th- those moments, because again, they, they don't come, they don't come back again. I don't know for sure, but what I've seen and what I've been able to observe, it, it doesn't come back. So like, it's very important to be able to, embrace those moments for what they are and is that freedom's hard to come by
0: yeah whew, i would agree man Living that moment I, I appreciate you sharing the story man and walking down uh your experience as a pro hockey player as an athlete as a business owner and as uh, a fucking human being man
1: <laughs> well i appreciate you thanks for getting out here so i can share my story and uh again next time uh next time i'm on here I'll be able to share some even more insightful stuff, you know, as I slowly build the stuff up.
0: Yeah, so man. It's
1: uh, stages, you know?
0: Sure, man. That's where you keep going at it, right? Where uh, to help direct anybody that wants to learn about your blog that you're doing, or some, that's well, if uh, you go- what's coming out, your anything else? Drop it all, man. Plug it up.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, I'm, I got a BAPS hockey website coming up here the next couple of days. It should be up, well, probably next week or so. Um, uh, if you just go on my Facebook Instagram page I got Babs Hockey and share all uh, several different uh, analytic approaches to score more goals um, very insightful stuff and again helping uh, hockey players get to the next level and then uh, my FB Babs page is just on Facebook but that website it's going to come up later on next next year sometime in March and I'm slowly building that up right now and uh, again I'm going to be able to build those two businesses up and the FP BAFS page is going to be awesome because I think it's going to be able to be uh, help athletes not just hockey players to train in a fashion that um, connects to their human biology and again I know you've had Naudi out here and uh, it's going to be really working a lot of that stuff and really training the body in a way that it's going to be sustainable and and then I'll be working a lot of the stuff that Jack Cruz talks about, like fixing your environment. It's absolutely critical to, again, being the most efficient human you can be.
0: Yeah, man. I uh, We tried to specifically set this new studio up. I have this massive window to my right. So mm-hmm. I have a big sun. The sun's been overcast today. So I had to open it all up and try to get it bright. So what we try to do is, uh, I can't wait till next year, dude, We're changing the format. We're mm-hmm. applying Dr. Jack Cruz's stuff actually in a, a kind of a unique way. So this, the, uh, soundproofing on the walls, this whole look, uh, is all changing next year or something different, but even setting the studio up here, we try to do it where I'm at least in the sunlight, you know, trying to, to be mm-hmm. set up by it, but, uh, applying those are, are, are very important, man. And, you know, I would also speak, since a lot of athletes may listen to this podcast, hopefully, mm. and, um, you know, spread it. You talk about FP, and obviously people have, uh, if you listen to this show, you fucking know now, period. Yeah. And, yeah, and despite what you may think of his approach or him or anything fucking else, I'm telling you what, the science is fucking legit. And there's there's no walk away from that, and there's no duplicate of that either, as though many are trying mm. to duplicate the man's science. But the shit is legit, and for me... I I say it time and time again with the athlete, my brother, it is so hard because along that way, we were entrenched with lift the weight, put the weight down, pick things up, put them down, get stronger. And for me, man, I won't forget the pain that I was in when I tried to make a little small comeback and I got back up to 242 pounds and got big. I needed a. I had to have a little tumor thing removed so I, it was all went downhill after eight months of training yeah. but I remember how painful how much pain I was in walking around uh and how I felt when I really just applied what Naudi said of what not to do before I even yeah. applied what to do I just applied what not to do in the beginning and went what the fuck you know what I mean I'm like I don't hurt that my pain this does I thought for life my elbow my back you know that when an athlete you settle in you go okay the, the elbow, I'm just going to deal with it. You know what I mean? And and all this mm-hmm. changed, man. And so uh, I, I, I appreciate you pushing uh, his science out there and bringing it to pro athletes. But...
1: Well, let me just say one thing about functional patterns. I just think, like, it's very important is that I switched from that traditional uh, style of training. Like, and it was about two years ago. And I can say without a doubt if I didn't do that, I, like, my body would have fallen apart. Like, <laughs> Shortly after my first year of pro, like it's been able to change my body and again it really help me to do things that I never thought I was able to do. I've I have a more friends who are able like they actually jumped on it this summer. Um, this is the second summer I was doing it and have more athletes doing it. And they're starting to become more aware of it, and uh, it the the shit's real. It's, it's just you need to do it. Like if you, it, we can talk about it, but like when I showed athletes and let them and got them doing this stuff it's not questionable anymore. Like you just, it, this shit's real. Like the, the movement, it's all built around, like he built around principles that we've evolved to do. And, um, it's undeniable. So you, when you reject those components, and when you focus on this traditional bilateral overhead garbage, again, you're just slowly, you're, you're just chipping away at a chain. That's like what we just talked about today is already chipped down enough. With the environment and the culture that we're brought up in. And so I think it's really important for athletes to check that stuff out, check his page out, and really see what he's able to bring to the table.
0: Well, it becomes here's where FPR also comes in an athlete's depression area because you take an athlete who would pick up a bet to, to race anybody anytime, right? You're just <coughs> high-functioning fucking machine. And generally about the time you lose being that athlete, you've also lost your ability to do shit. And, you know, I there's uh, I'll just talk about my my father. I don't think you'll give a fuck. I can't believe it. Dude, my dad's actually coming up to stay with me for a day or two. Dude, We've been estranged for so long and reach back out and he's going to come up and stay. He's actually going to do a fucking podcast.
1: Yeah I'm going to fuck into
0: that one. Yeah, I'm going to tell my dad, man. I like, oh man, but my my yeah. point is he was um, a baseball player for fucking since Moby Dick was a minor. He played forever and got offers to play for the Twins, ended up family and uh instead, but played triple A ball for a long fucking time, like four Roy Hobbs series type shit, World Series. I mean, the guy played forever, man, and you know, he's uh, 63 now. Shot. You got. He had to went with the screws in the back before I learned. You know, we weren't talking then, so I had no, no way to you know know. But you know, shot. And then when you take an athlete, not only take the mental aspect of who they were away, and all the ten things we just named, you then take their physical ability away because of a bad back, dude. Daryl Talley all pro middle linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Fucking nicest dude you'll ever fucking meet. Had a drink with him once or twice. So, uh, he hangs out at—I uh, well, won't say the bar. We <coughs> go there, but he hangs out as this awesome yeah. dude. Uh, massive figure still, right? Six, every bit of six three. You know, got the two forty there, but great shape. You know, still. But he's got to slide his feet, brother. The feet are angled in. The knees uh, are shot. You know, he's sliding uh, his feet. Knees are shot, man. And you—and then when you take then the athlete's performance away, physical ability away my brother, you watch a, a mental decline faster than an addiction to heroin. Just destroy the athlete, man.
1: Wait, because like mentally they've been destroyed and then when you physically lose it, now you're able to see the the damage that's been done in a physical side and now you, all your senses click in and you're like, holy fuck, is this not good? Now you have basically a disabled athlete, ex-athlete trying to live out
0: mentally and physically disabled mentally and physically disabled i mean this yeah
1: and i hate the argument you see a lot of athletes talk about oh but i need to be the best right now and i'm like well you can do that while doing functional patterns and you're going to be sustainable like that's it just doesn't look the same you're just not throwing weights up and down you're moving in dynamic three-dimensional ways that are it's unbelievable when you watch it, like just go look at the videos and like, I I never thought I was, it would be able to do it. And now I can, I can do some of the stuff. Obviously I'm still working at it, but
0: well, the the cosmetic, the cosmetic reinforcement is fucking powerful, brother. People assume the, the correlation with six packs and shredded in men's health magazines as healthy. And Mm. the correlation there is not causation. (laughs) A lot of times, and uh, yeah, I'm just saying I, I have not seen I know they exist. I'm not fucking stupid, but I haven't seen very many 60 plus year olds walking around fucking jacked. That's why when you yeah. see a seventy year old, eighty year old Jack person, they they go viral on media, you know. So yeah. that's when I started questioning shit, brother. When I'm looking around going, I don't see a whole lot of two hundred and forty two pound X linebacker looking motherfuckers that are old. Most <laughs> of these people are kind of chilling. I'm like, boom, yeah. <laughs> it. I, I haven't passed one eighty five since. You know, I've I've won sixty five well, at one point, one eighty five is where I stay. And uh Yeah, your
1: body has a weight that it's like that it- it's built to work it most efficiently at like why have to, like why I see it all the time. Like hockey players, Oh, I need to be 10 pounds heavier, but yeah, like you move about 10 times slower now. <laughs> so what's the point? Like, I, I don't understand like what Somebody you're trying told to do it. here. Somebody uh, told yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Well, like traditional weightlifters will, or trainers, all like all of them will just say, yeah, we can do it. We'll, we'll put that mass on. And it's just like, well, is it, is it even efficient to be that weight? So um, I like where hockey's moving though. Hockey's moving towards more of a at least from the player standpoint, it doesn't need to be bigger. It's about being a more explosive, dynamic player that can do again moving that three-dimensional plane. The bigger you are, it doesn't necessarily mean the better in hockey now, which is nice. It's oh. moving away from that, but it's still got its traditional lifts. It's still got the bullshit running around. It, it it's unbelievable watching like it it when I walk into the gym and I see players with like bars on their back and they just see their spines being compressed. And, and I go, how does that correlate to being a better hockey player? Like, I just, I just asked them that not even a human, I just go better hockey player.
0: How do they move?
1: And I go contralaterally and they go like, well, like it's just, this is a good like stance. And I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't relate to anything. How do you, you need to be a good skater. Skating is right leg goes forward with your left arm. And it just like, they don't understand those concepts, even stick handling. It's the same type of thing. And so it's just amazing that this is still an acceptable practice or bench pressing, just sitting there, just bench pressing, like shooting a puck has nothing to do with that. And I, and I break that down with Babs hockey I try to bring that functional patterns into it when you're shooting. And I'll show it like my right hand here is pulling back while my left hand here is pushing forward. So, my left pec is pushing while my right lat is pulling. So, yeah. like, it, how does the bench press teach that? So, and it's just like when you explain it, you're like, oh, that kind of makes sense. And I'm like,
0: it's some, it's yeah, logical it shit. It, it's for me, it's obvious. It's logical pointed out. But, you know, the, the question is, you know, a lot of times is how can they do it? And here's where I do have sympathy and empathy for it, as I know you will too, brother, is <coughs> because. When I lifted weights and I got big like they told me to, uh, not only did I forget about my violent environment, but all those 10 things you and I named, I got all 10 of those things when I was lifting weights and I was squatting and I was knocking off heads and I looked and I was jacked and I could count mm. my abs. When I was running a 4 4, when, when I was doing that, I was doing that. So to tell me that what I'm mm. doing now doesn't reward me, I have to somehow break through the psychological barrier and behavior pattern I've created mm. with doing that movement. And so logic, my friend, is generally not enough to make somebody ignore what saved their life.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I stopped arguing. I, my first year when I came out of functional patterns, I'd argue with everybody. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I, that's wrong, that's wrong." And like now, I just sit back. And when the reason, it, the reason you get so many athletes later on in their sport and functional patterns is because they come to them when their body's completely shot, and so that's when they're more susceptible to change.
0: Right. Well, now I've been knocked. I've been knocked to a humble, right? So help me. My shit hurts. So help me. And for me, though, brother, that's where I find the empathy is because, you know, I, that's all I knew. It defined (laughs) who I was. And when I lifted the weights and got that big, I got those rewards. And mm-hmm. for me, it shit, I was doing other drugs or this or that. And I didn't care about the risk because of those psychological rewards that I received. Just those not even counting whatever I mm-hmm. thought was a biological gain per se. Yeah. Right. That, so in my mind, I'm thinking I'm making psychological gains, biological gains. I'm getting all kinds of social acceptance. And then and you're going to tell me, no. You, right, that's that. Yeah. Dis, that's that disconnect. Until my back hurt, right? Until you're there and knocked to a humble, and you go, "What the fuck? I got to do something else, man." Right? You got to change that, and that's why I urge people question the shit first, man. And you've certainly done that, man.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to ask questions. So that's a, If there's one way to end it, I'd be like, you know, if "There's a final note." I probably should. This is one thing I learned, and it's, it's a process. I got a long ways to go, but I question everything. You have to question everything really break down what people are telling you and real and research it, understand it. And then like, like I told you when I didn't know an answer on the pockets, I tell you, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to give you bullshit. I'm just going to give you what I, what I know. And if I can't answer it, I will find, I'll, I will go find it. But like, you have to question this, th- these type of things, like you can't just accept current dogma as truth. Like there's a lot of shit behind the scenes. I know you see it in a lot of other fields and, I honestly, it's almost every field you can find something, whether it be medical in the sport, in sports and conditioning, whether it be in, again, cell phones, lights, everything like all of this stuff is like there's a lot of bullshit that's going on. So you have to question it. You have to do your research. And that's how you're going to get to the root of all those problems. And so with functional patterns have been able to do that and able to get to the root of at least the movement problem. And so there's a lot of other shit to get down. So
0: I'd say we officially turned this into a fucking FP yet. <laughs> no, yeah, we got all
1: fun. We got all functional patterns there.
0: <laughs> well, look, I, I I say it from a standpoint of <laughs> I know what happens to the athlete not only when the mental breaks down, but when the physical breaks down, and when the physical eventually it does. I mean, there's uh, oh, what's his name? It was yeah, I think it was Seal. Um, obviously people know the story, Junior Seal. Sad thing, it was the first football jersey I ever wore. By the way. And his wife wrote a long blog about what it was like and how long it would take him to get out of bed, to move the legs, to massage the knees, to rotate the back, that it was quite a burden he felt and that's where I don't want to see the professional athlete, collegiate athlete who has played that long, even high school, who played that long, who got injured, who's been hurt because of the war zone, uh, get trapped there. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's not about the advertising of the FP sure, but it's about saving their fucking life. That's what it is for me, and that's, yeah. that's why I, I, I tout about it. That's why I say what I say.
1: Well, yeah, no, I, I don't tell people I'm not making any money off of it. Like, again, it's just more of like, hey it's awareness you want you want to be efficient you want your body you want to fix your body you want to feel healthy like this is this is the way to do things you this is more of a helping like it's it's not making that's like that's usually a filter i use when i question things like you look at functional patterns they toss a lot of information out there for you to learn so just go out and learn it understand the concepts and i think you'll be able to see some truth
0: Motherfucking functional rampage! What the fuck? <laughs> hey Mason, oh, man, I, I appreciate. We really, we really got to wrap it up this time, man. We yeah. uh, we hung out for a while, man. I got uh, daddy, uh, daddy daughter dinner tonight, man. That's what uh, my Wednesday is with my my little girl. So just me uh, and her.
1: Yeah, do your thing. No, I understand, uh,
0: brother. Priorities. I appreciate it, man. And uh, you got more? You want to chat another time? Uh, you know, you're welcome anytime. Just let me know.
1: Okay, thanks a lot, Adam. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on, brother.
1: Have a good one.